Man. Hey guys, if I go over here, can you, uh, is that work? Is this a good spot for me camera-wise? Awesome, great. Then I don't have to move all this other stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, wherever you are. I loved it. That was great. It is definitely a highlight of my week. When I get to be here with all of these good folks and we deal with our technical issues each Sunday and we work through them and uh, somehow God helps us to bring it all together and we worship together and it's such a sweet time and uh, I see Frank is here this morning. Bless you, man. I love to see you and most of your face there. And I want to remind you, those of you at home, Uh, The church is open for worship on Sundays if you want to come here and be with us uh, in limited numbers, and uh, we would love to have you here to be part of that, but we also uh, encourage you, if staying home for you is the best choice and you are engaging with us from home, whether it's right now at 10.36 a.m. on Sunday morning or if you join us later in the week, as I see people viewing the, the webcast later in the week, I can see that. I can't see who you are. I just see that people are using it. Um, bless you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for engaging in what we're doing. And I would just ask you to do one more thing, and that is to share our presence on the internet, on Facebook, on YouTube. Share that with your friends. If you are a Twitter user, you can follow us on Twitter, although I don't think we ever do much of anything on Twitter except put out our newsletter link goes out there and some announcement links. We're not, you know, real Twitter active because Twitter is a dumpster fire, um, which uh, most days I love to watch the burning and then other days I've had enough. Um, But we're also on Instagram, which again, usually gets all the information that we're putting out there and occasionally a little bump here and there when we tag another picture that we've put out. And then Facebook, of course. And then we have our YouTube channel that you can look up. Uh, C3AK is there, Christ Community Church on YouTube. That's where all of these Sunday messages are hosted. Share those around. And then you can also find us on Podbean, like bean like black-eyed pea bean. Podbean.com is where our audio version of the services is hosted, but you can also get it on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere that you can get podcasts, you can find our podcast as well, and it usually updates Monday mornings, Tuesday at the latest, depending on how, if I get tripped up and have to do some other stuff, but I say all of that just to encourage you to share it, 
Share it with your friends. And the great thing about this particular platform is that it doesn't matter if it's somebody who lives here in Anchorage. You can share it literally around the world. And so if you listen to today's message or a message from the past few weeks, you can go back through our catalog and, and go back to when we began streaming uh, here on the YouTube site. And maybe there's, one, there's a message that you remember like, oh man, that was meaningful to me. I want to share that. Go back and share it. Our Podbean uh, service I'm not sure how far back it goes. Uh, we had to restart at some point, but it goes back quite a ways. So I'm just saying, share the love, share the information. If you believe in still what we're doing here and the messages are meaningful to you, then I just would encourage you to share that out with people, uh, either specifically or just in general, through your social media, emails, however you might do that. And uh, in this week's newsletter, I will include a section that has links to all of our different locations on the internet where you can access or send and you can just share those links directly, okay? So do that for us and, and continue to share the, the good news of Christ Community Church because we are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with you as much as we possibly can. And uh, hopefully we'll even be doing more of that here in the days to come. All right, so we're gonna jump right back into the book of Mark, Mark chapter eight. And uh, we talked last week about, the last couple of weeks has been a recurring theme, and Jesus is going to put a very fine point on this recurring theme today. Uh, the, two weeks ago, we talked a lot about legalism, about man-made rules being presented to us as if they are doctrines of the Bible, things that God commanded that really aren't and that we can be wrapped up in that in our religious environments, in our religious uh, interactions, particular churches. Maybe you grew up in a place that was that way. Um, maybe that has been your experience with religion. Maybe you're listening to this today, and that's one of the reasons that you have found it difficult to get close to a church or to consider a relationship with Christ, because that's what you've seen is this legalistic, man-made set of rules that is inserted over really what the Bible teaches. And what we learned a couple of weeks ago, and right from the words of Jesus, was he said, when man-made rules are given so much importance and presented as if they are really doctrines of the Bible, but they're simply created by humans, not only does it become something that, that is destructive within a community and within people, but it actually causes people to then reject the laws of God as they pursue trying to be faithful to the laws of man. And so we see that warning there. And then last week, we saw the story of the Pharisees. Even though Jesus had performed so many miracles, including immediately before this conversation, Jesus had fed 4,000 people. He's going to reference that, actually, in the text today. 4,000 people with just a few pieces of bread. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, remember, Two religious groups who hated each other came together to hate Jesus. That's how legalism works, is, is kind of the enemy of my enemy is my friend attitude. They came together to hate and to challenge Jesus, and in spite of all of the miracles that they had already seen with their own eyes and heard of through those who had witnessed them, they said, hey, give us another sign and maybe we'll believe. And Jesus flatly rejected them and said that he would give them no more signs. 
In fact, he said at the end of that phrase, and I didn't really touch on this last week, he said, I won't give you any more sign than the sign of Jonah. Now, when we hear that, we think of the story of Jonah, the great fish, being swallowed by the, the, the fish and in the belly of the fish for a few days and then bleh, out onto the shore at Nineveh, right? That whole story, which, by the way, if you've been into the Bernie memes this week, uh, Bernard Sanders sitting at the, the inauguration the other day, the best one I saw yesterday was a tree in the desert grown up and there's Bernie sitting underneath of it like he's Jonah. And it says, Jonah, as he watches God forgive the people of Nineveh because that's what happened in the story. It was Jonah got, he came up on the beach, and then he obeyed finally what God told him to do. He went and he preached repentance to the people of Nineveh, and guess what? They heard, they repented, and then God said, I'm so happy, I'm gonna bless them, and then Jonah was mad. And he sat under this tree that had grown up while he was there watching God do his work, and he was mad. And he cursed God a little bit, and then God took his tree away. He said, fine, I'll show you. Tree dead, no more, no more shade for you. So he says, I'm not going to give you a sign any more than the sign of Jonah. And so we might think that, that he's only referring to the story of Jonah, which the religious leaders knew very, very well. Which was, he's, he's putting them in the same category of saying, you're just like Jonah. You supposedly are calling people to righteousness, but even when they achieve a measure of righteousness you still point at them and say they're not good enough. But really, he was foreshadowing his own sacrifice, his own self throwing himself into the sea of sin and being swallowed by the earth. And three days later, the earth literally rejects him, and he is risen again. And that's the sign that they'll see He's not going to give them anything else between there to satisfy their own lust, to have their, their flesh satisfied by seeing great works of God. The next one that they're going to see and receive is going to be his actual resurrection. All right, so that leads up then to this conversation today. It starts in Mark chapter 8, I think verse 14. Now, they had... Forgotten to bring bread. Who, are, who is they? The disciples. The same guys who forgot to bring bread just a few days ago when there were 4,000 people and the same guys who also forgot bread when there were 5,000 people and we had the loaves and the fishes. You, you may identify with the feeling that Jesus is having here. They had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in that boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Now, get this, get this timeline of what's happening in this conversation. They've had this interaction with the religious leaders. Jesus has rebuked them quite significantly. He's preached against legalism and man-made rules. They've now gotten in a boat to go somewhere else. They realize they have no bread. They're discussing this, and in the midst of this conversation, Jesus says, beware of the influence that has taken over the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Beware of that. 
And their response is to go, we don't have any bread. We're going to starve to death out here in the boat. I mean, they're not going that far. There's probably bread where they're going. There's probably some place that they can... But they're consumed with this idea of bread, even though Jesus has given them this, this important truth. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, we're going we're to talk in a moment about how those two things come together because we're talking about the religious leaders, right? And we're talking about Herod, the one who wanted to kill Jesus when he was a baby. He's a terrible despotic leader who's got the boot of Rome on the throat of Israel here, even in Jerusalem. And he, and he ties these two things together. And so our first thought when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, might be to think back to legalism. It's, it's, it's part of that. It's related, but that's not the thing. That's not the leaven. And we're going to talk about leaven and what that means and how that works. And then we're going to get down to exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. And so then they say, they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And Jesus is asking them a question, and maybe this is the question that he is proposing to us in this passage this morning is of, of all the things that are going on in your life, of all the things that you're dealing with, Jesus is about to remind them of some of the things that he's done that they have not only seen with their eyes, but have actually been the hands and feet of what Jesus has done, these miracles. And he's, he's really asking them, he's beginning to ask the question, do you still really not believe the things I'm telling you? Even though you've seen with your own eyes, are you really telling me that you still don't get it? And I, I sense there might be a little frustration in Jesus right here because he's using some strong words. Why are, he's, like, he's like lasers in. Why are you talking about bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? What might be a modern way of saying that same phrase? Are you stupid? Are you an idiot? Are your hearts hardened? Those are really direct, and I'm sure that those words cut a little bit. You know, there are occasions in Scripture we, we tend to... Um, we like fuzzy Jesus, you know, like, like cute little puppy Jesus, he licks your face, and when you're, when you're sad, he likes to come in, oh, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for being nice to me, but sometimes Jesus, like, gets to the point. Like, like when he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, <laughs> not very fuzzy, little prickly Jesus, little cactus Jesus. You don't want to hold that one too close. When, when he said to the sons of thunder, Jesus, which one of us will sit next to you in heaven? None of you are going to sit next to me in heaven. The least of anybody is going to sit next to me in heaven. You guys are too proud. So this is not fuzzy Jesus. 
This is get to the point, Jesus. Are you dumb? Have you not, did you not understand anything that you just saw over the last how many days? In fact, literally two days ago, did you? Hello? Anything clicking in there? Are your hearts hardened? So he goes on to say, he, he, so he's like, apparently, and you've had this experience, maybe it's been done to you, it's been done to me, I've certainly done it to other people, where sometimes then you, you, you ask the rhetorical question, and then you explain it, because you're not sure. You know what a rhetorical question is? <laughs> See, that's funny. That's a rhetorical question. <laughs> it's a question that doesn't need an answer. <laughs> And yet here we are. And Jesus does the same. He asks really what's a rhetorical question. Don't you get it? Let me explain. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, did you not hear? And do you not remember? And he goes, bang, here, remember this. Remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, 12. Now, let's just stop there. We started with five loaves of bread. There were 5,000 men plus women and children. Jesus prayed over the bread. He blessed it. He gave it to the disciples, and they walked among the disciples with baskets, and people just kept taking bread out, and they fed the whole crowd. And then when they were done, Jesus said, go gather up the leftovers. And they've gathered 12 baskets full of bread. They know this because they just answered the question. How many did you gather? 12. And just 30 seconds ago, they were looking at each other going, we don't have any bread. We've only got one loaf. This isn't going to feed us all. And the seven for the 4,000. So this is the, these are two miracles where Jesus fed a crowd of anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 people with a minor amount of bread. This one was 4,000 people plus, you know, men plus women and children. Seven loaves. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And this is unfortunately also a rhetorical question. Because apparently from the text, the answer is no. They don't. They still don't get it. They still don't understand. And if they still don't understand at the core of that, at the central locus of that, is exactly what Jesus is warning them of. See, Jesus is so smart. He knows exactly what's happening in those hearts in this moment. He knows exactly what's transpiring in their heads. And he knows what isn't happening in those hearts. Because as soon as he heard them, after having seen everything they'd seen, as soon as he heard them discussing the fact that they only had one loaf of bread, his, his response to them was not, what are you guys worried about? I'll make some more. 
Eat all you want. We'll make more. Lay's brand potato chips. Anybody? No? No? Never mind. I'll make more. That wasn't his answer. Oh, we don't have enough bread. You guys should be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven that's in Herod. You be careful. So what is that leaven? What is he talking about? Now, we've been watching copious amounts of the great British baking show, which I love. I love cooking shows. I love them all. Love them all. Well, uh, let me rephrase that. There's one called Nailed It, if you're familiar. I don't like. I, I don't see the point. Uh, it doesn't entertain me. If you love it, God bless you. But uh, Top Chef, Hell's Kitchen, uh, what's, uh, the one with the baskets where they don't know what's in it. Chopped, thank you. Um, and I love to cook. I love, I love the process of it, so these fascinate me. Uh, baking is a, is a different animal than cooking. Uh, Karen is a great baker. I am not a great baker. I probably could be good at it. I just don't want to. Um, doesn't really interest me. Uh, not enough knives and things involved. Uh, a lot of hand action, rolling things and kneading dough. And Who wants to do that? So, but if you're a baker, God bless you, because you, you make wonderful things. And this show is really all about this. And they will talk often, well, pretty much every episode, because it's about baking. They'll say, now this, now this dough has to prove for a certain amount of time. If you, by the way, it's a British show. If you didn't notice, great British baking show, so I have to talk like that. Um, if, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't rise the dough properly, it won't, it won't take the shape that we want it to take. Or, or if you use a different type of flour, you've got to allow for a different amount of time and, and use a different rising agent. And that's what we're talking about here, leaven. Now, we know probably the most common leavening agent in baking is, shout, yeast. yeast. Not what we're talking about here. Well, it is sort of what we're talking about here. It's not like... It's not like Fleshman's yeast, which would seem obvious uh, for certain reasons. Um, it's not Fleshman's yeast. It's not the little packet that you get and you put it in water, you know, a little bit of warm water to activate it. You know that yeast, don't get weirded out by this. If this is a surprise to you, I'm sh- Spoiler alert! Yeast is a living organism. In your bread. In your dough. Um, when dough rises, it's because yeast are burping. And, you know, they're making gas. Am I right, Jeremy? You're a cook. You're a culinary, actual culinary artist person. <laughs> if Jess Trumpler was here, she would, I'd have her talk about yeast. It would go on a long time and it would be fascinating. But that's what it does. You have this, you you take this flour, water, whatever else you're going to put together, you put some yeast in it, in modern times is usually what we do. You beat it up for a while to get the glutens going in there and then you put it in a bowl and maybe you put it in a proving drawer, uh, a slightly warm oven. If it's summertime, you can leave it on the counter if it's warm enough in the house and it will begin to rise. The thing is, 
We use recipes where we know how much yeast to put in there to get a certain amount of dough to rise in a particular amount of time so that it reaches the stage that we need it to be to be like a full loaf of bread. But the truth is, if you've ever used a little yeast packet, if you pour those out, they're just tiny little grains in there. They're tiny, like little pieces of sand. You could... In theory, it would take a long time, but you could. You could take one of those tiny little grains, put it in some water and get it to activate, and then put it in your dough, and if you leave it long enough, that one tiny grain will rise that entire loaf of dough. The way that we see this still in modern times, and probably the process that Jesus was talking about here, would be much more like sourdough. Now we say, we don't usually think of starting sourdough with yeast out of a package. I mean, you can, but you can also capture wild yeast. Did you know that? Uh, we have a friend who's a complete nerd who did this for us a couple of years ago. God bless him, Mr. Butterfield. Um, and you could do it. If you have, uh, I mean, if you have your own raspberry bushes, you have raspberries out there, you could do it with a raspberry. There's, there's wild yeast flying around in the air everywhere. It comes from, from fruit plants and fruit trees and things like that. It's just out there. You can take a grape. This is what I think Lee did, grape or a blueberry. Put it out underneath of a, a tree, like a spruce tree. Just set it out there for a few days. You bring it in, and you give it some flour. You give it some water, and you let it kind of do its thing. And pretty soon, you'll see some bubbling. And guess what that bubbling is? It's yeast making gas. You take your starter out, your, your, your grape or whatever, you throw it away. And then, I don't know if you've ever done sourdough, but it's like having a baby. Uh, you got it, well, a little easier than a baby. You got to feed it once a week. I mean, you should, Jeremy, you're feeding the baby more than once a week, I'm guessing. Cass is? Sometimes, Sometimes yeah. Um, so you have to feed it less often, but let me tell you, it's a, it's a commitment. Sour. Sourdough starter is a commitment because you get it started and it's not ready. Even the first time it grows up, it's not ready. It's gross. It's a slurry. It looks disgusting. It's not something you'd want to cook with. But you have your little bowl of starter and then you add like a cup of flour to it and you let it grow some more and then it gets kind of weird and goopy and you, you take some of it off and you throw it out and you give it some more flour and it grows a little bit more, and then you throw some out, and you put some more flour, a little bit more water, and you keep growing, and eventually, you have what started out as just tiny little bits of wild yeast on whatever your starter thing was, grows into this as much as you want. I mean, you can have a bowl this big, you can have a container this big of sourdough, starter. And from that, you take and you scoop some of that out, throw it on the table, put flour in it, and beat it around, and knead it, and you can make sourdough bread, sourdough pancakes. It's this, this is the kind of thing that Jesus is talking about. And they would understand this because in every home, somewhere there was some form of sourdough-type starter. And they would maintain it. They would feed it. They would clear out the bad and put the good in. But here's the deal. Whatever you have as that starter, whether it's tiny or it's a good amount, as soon as you throw other flour in there and mix it together, 
that leaven, that thing that causes it to rise, that thing that causes it to transform, begins to take root in every part of what you've put in there. And you can't stop it. If you keep adding to it, you start with a little bowl like this and you add to it, and then you don't throw any out, you put it in a bigger bowl and you add to it, and then you don't throw any out, you put it in a bigger bowl. I mean, you could go on forever. We could have a room here filled with leavened dough that started this tiny. So that's, that's the effect that Jesus is warning against when he says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, lest it infect all of your life and everything that touches you and everything that you care about. So, it brings us back to the original thought. What is the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod that Jesus sees in the disciples and now is warning them about? Because remember, this all started with them having a conversation about bread, and Jesus didn't talk to them about the bread. He talked about bread as a metaphor because they were talking about bread, and they know how bread is made but he saw something in them that he says is the same as the Pharisees, religious leaders, legalistic, and Herod, horrible dictator-style ruler who even wanted to kill Jesus when he was born and in order to do so killed thousands of young male babies hoping he would get this one who was called the King of Kings. This passage is often taught that this leaven is legalism, religious hypocrisy. It's connected to that, but that's not it. The thing that all three of these characters, the Pharisees, Herod, and the disciples in this moment have in common the leaven that will destroy their lives going forward if they don't get it in check is they don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They dismiss him as the Messiah. Ooh, let that sink in for a moment. These are his disciples, which is why Jesus looks at them kind of incredulously and says, what, what is going on here? How can you not believe after everything that you've seen, after all the conversations we've had, after literally what you saw happen 24, 36 hours ago, how in the world are you sitting here worried about bread Do you not understand, he says. And the question he's really saying there is, do you not understand that you're hanging out with me, but you don't actually believe in me? Beware of that leaven 
because even a little bit will grow and will cause you to disbelieve. Now, notice here, because I want to be careful, he is not saying to them, you should just believe in me. I mean, that's stupid. Everybody should just believe in me. He's saying, there's evidence. There's proof. You've seen it with your own eyes. You've heard it with your own ears. You were there when it happened. In fact, you collected the benefits of the miracles that I performed, touched them with your own hands, and then put that bread in your own mouth. You should believe for God's sake. So this is not a dismissal of those today who don't believe, who've not experienced Christ, they've not heard the good news, um, they've seen bits and pieces of religiosity, but they've never been introduced to who Christ is. That's not for them. This is for those who call themselves believers and still place their faith in being good, Doing righteous things means God's happier with me than he was if I didn't. If I read my Bible, God likes me more. If I, if I go out soul winning and, and witness to people on the street, I'm a better Christian than someone else and God thinks more of me than he does of you. If I make sure that I log in and watch church on Sundays when I'm supposed to, then whew, I've checked off a box and God's happy with me. That's who he's talking about. I don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, and I don't go with girls that do. I can't tell you how many evangelists I heard spout that garbage when I was a kid. And I believed it. And I would dismiss people who didn't look like me, talk like me, think like me, go to church like me, believe in Jesus the way that I did. Or their practices about Jesus were different than mine, even though they claimed all of the fundamentals of the faith. Everything that scripture describes that says this, when people said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus answered it very directly. The, the apostles, some who wrote the, the letters that we look at, you know, the, the, the epistles like James and John, 1 John. They answered those questions very directly. We see some stories in the book of Acts with the Apostle Paul and others where they encounter people and the question is really direct. What have I got to do? And they say, here it is. I would dismiss people who, who accepted and believed those same fundamentals of the faith because other things that they did didn't look like the practices that I grew up with. Guess what that made me? A Pharisee. Because ultimately what I'm saying, when I look at others who, who claim Christ and believe the fundamentals of the faith, and let me be clear, there are, some, there are many groups out there that claim the cause of Christ who fundamentally the one thing that separates every religion from true Christianity is if they reject the deity of Christ. And I don't mean that they believe he's a God because... Jehovah's Witnesses believe he's a God. They do not believe he is the God, Jehovah, one in three, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, triune God with three separate personalities and yet completely equal in their Godhead. That, by the way, is the Christian confession of God that's taught in the Bible. 
So it's not just that they, they don't believe that he's a God, because they might. They might believe that he is some sort of deity. But they deny the supreme godhood of, of Christ that he himself expressed when he said, I and the Father are what? One. And people go, well, that's not what he meant. He just meant they have the same purpose. Except the Jews who were standing there, the Pharisees, like me, when he said that, the Bible says they took up stones to kill him because he made himself out to be God. So there, I'm, I'm not talking about those who claim Christianity but deny some of the fundamentals of the faith that we find in Scripture. We're learning a song right now with the worship team that covers all of those fundamentals, and I love it. Believe in God the Father, believe in God the Son, believe in God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Believe the prophecy that Jesus was born of a virgin, imbued by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was God from time eternal. He is the creative force in Genesis. He is the voice that spoke into the nether and, and created the universe into being. He is the one who breathed life into the body of Adam and, and caused man to rise to life. He is the word who came and was clothed in human flesh and dwelt among us and spoke to us truths of the Father in heaven as the Father instructed him. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for each and every person who's ever lived, who ever would live, and anyone who would come to him and receive his sacrifice on the cross in payment for their sins and call upon him as the Lord and Savior of their lives can be saved. And on the third day, he rose again to prove that not only was he the official sacrifice for sin, but to cap it all off, he is truly the author and the master of life and death and eternity. And if we will choose then to receive that gift of salvation, he then will bestow upon us a life of purpose and abundance as we live here on this earth. He will begin to create and transform in us the person we can be for all of eternity and he holds the keys and the power of eternity in his hand and he promises it to us and we will join him when our life passes from this body to the next to reign with him for all of eternity. Those are the fundamentals of the faith. Those are the confession needed to be saved. And those of us who have made that confession should be careful that we do not embrace the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod and these disciples in this moment to find ourselves in times when we know that Jesus has rescued us he has saved us. He's moved in our lives and we've seen his hand time and time again. Let us never find ourselves in the place of being worried about a small piece of bread and instead remember the one who has served us and saved us time and time again. If you find yourself in that place, of doubting. Understand too what Jesus did here. 
He could have started kicking guys out of the boat. Are you stupid? Swim, sucker. But he didn't. He instructed them. So am I saying that you'll never have a doubt? Eh, probably not. Probably will. Life's tough. Life's rough. Life is uh, not particularly kind. But in those moments, remember who you're in the boat with and all that he has done. And give him praise. And have confidence in his saving work in you. That you and I might never be overtaken by the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herods and all those who claim the name of Christ but don't truly believe. Let me give you a blessing. Invite uh, Hayden and Stephen and Karen to come. We're going to do this final song together. And then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for the, the words of your scripture. What a blessing to us today. I pray that these words have been true and faithful to you. And not my words, but your words. Lord, I am so thankful that even sometimes when I'm just getting it wrong, that you remind me of the truth of my confession, which rests completely in the truth of who you are and what you have done for us. Thank you for being kind and gracious towards us when we have those moments. Lord, help us to be wise, to guard our hearts against those things and voices that would lead us astray and for us to not give any space, any room for the kind of doubts that lead to disbelief but instead be reminded of all that you have done and trust in you. I pray that there might be those today who have heard that confession of faith that I just spoke Maybe today they want to confess you truly for the first time. I pray that they'll do that right now. I don't need to lead you in a prayer. There's no magic prayer that, that gets you saved. It's you talking to God and expressing those confessions and asking him to save you, and he will be faithful to do so. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll move in hearts today if that's your will. Lord, we love you. Thank you, and we praise you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause the light of his face to shine upon you. May he turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name.